the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Well, happy Monday morning. AM 1420. The answer. Rob Walgate sitting in for Bob France. And the first, Andrew, the first hour flew by. It really did. I, we, I haven't spilled my coffee. I haven't broke the computer. I haven't done anything. But um, we'll work on that for hour number two. Absolutely. We'll, 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 we'll see what we can do. And I know um, in hour number two, I'm um, fortunate enough to have someone join us on the phone lines who happens to be my boss at the American Policy Roundtable and the work that we do, the CEO of the American Policy Roundtable, and that's Dave Zanotti. Good morning, Dave. Oh, it's my turn, huh? <laughs> it, 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 is, it is your turn. And before we dive into stuff, um, I know... In Northeast Ohio, I know that the Cleveland Indians are not participating in the World Series that's coming up in the next week, but Cleveland will have a little bit of a flavor in the World Series, and that's because Cleveland. this is kind of breaking news, if you will. Cleveland native James Hoy, I, I know, has been selected to be one of the umpires of this year's World Series. So very, very cool uh, as, as baseball fans around Northeast Ohio are watching uh, they can they can tune in and look for James, um, who is one of the best. Obviously, he is one of the best at umpiring the game of baseball. If he's been selected to work this year's World Series, so I thought that was a cool tidbit. In fact, and he is he is a great guy, one of the best. Well, I thought you were going to talk to me about all of the Indians that were in the playoffs that are no longer playing for Cleveland. Some of whom um, you miss a lot, and some of whom it's like, eh, maybe not a bad idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know when everyone saw that Michael Brantley catch the other night that turned into a double play, I think there was a lot of people that missed that. So Yeah, uh, you can only wish the best for him, you know. And yeah. how about El Tuve the other night? Are you kidding me? 
I mean, this this guy should run for mayor of Cleveland. He should run for governor of Ohio. He should just move just move here. And I mean, good night. Talk about a guy who 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 epitomizes everything about you know the David and Goliath story. The littlest guy in the league is the biggest hitter, and he walk. I, this is an amazing story. Well, also, amazing. also the fact of him living the American dream. I mean, isn't that? I mean, it's just yes. There there is a story behind a story, and so much fascination with that. So well, I know you and well, I that also. That also brings up the interesting thought of how uh, athletics and televised athletics and big sports, baseball in particular, has been such a, a theater for us to work out our tribalism and our prejudices and our fears and learn what it means to pull for people as humans all on the same team, all toward the same objective, and then realize that we really are. We have our distinctives to be celebrated, but what makes us who we are is what makes us human. And, 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 and as the creator, as the creations of God, and you see how, how amazing sports have been that have unified people's thinking as opposed to, unfortunately, the world in which you and I get to live in every day, which is public policy, which is, used to be that kind of, of an entity. We used to have a motto in this country, out of many, one. And the idea was that civil government, we the people, made us one people. Uh, we're all creatures of God made in his image. Uh, we, you know, and, but now we've resorted to a, a tribalism that it, it's sad. I mean, we all need a, we all need to watch the Jackie Robinson story about five times uh, a night for a few weeks. Yes, yes, we do. Well, when it comes to that, um, all being on the same side in uniting, um, it's unfortunate in this country. Sometimes it takes tragedy to see that happen. We're all reflective and remember nine eleven and the days following it and the uniting. And some would say that people in political parties unite. Although I would argue that we have seen or are about to see some of the most divisiveness in history when it comes to the Democrat Party and some of the fire and the shade and the accusations that are being made within party lines. We're in a tough spot as a nation, Rob, and uh, uh, we see that uh, in the different parts of the country that we have the privilege of working in. Uh, as you are well aware, as the vice president of the roundtable, we have a strategy of building a power grid, if you will, down the center of the country. And then from there, we emanate out to help people uh, in their public policy fights coast to coast. And, and that means that we have offices in our headquarters there in northeastern Ohio. I'm, I'm talking to you right now from our Nashville office. And we have an office in Orlando. And so we work uh, through, right down the center of the country to help the states that are most connected right in the middle and emanate out. And, and it is painfully clear of these divisions that you see, particularly as you get around the country. And, and yet I'm always mindful of how much common sense still resides in the state of Ohio. And common sense still resides in Northeast Ohio. Uh, and, and the people there who, who don't, haven't forgotten where they came from, haven't forgotten the value of work, and, and uh, for example, you were talking earlier, I was listening in the first hour, you were talking about the question of, of sports wagering in Ohio. Now, everybody knows we've got a long history at the roundtable on that, and I thank God for that history and for everyone that supported us. Uh, we went up against a Goliath starting back in 1988, and a lot of people rallied to that cause. And the people of Ohio held off the gambling industry from 1988 to 2009, outspent 10, 20, 30, 40 to 1, and in that time frame, the the real uh, 
character and, and, and the face of gambling became real. People began to understand that the economic model you described was, was true, that this does exploit on the poor, and, and the lottery is nothing but a tax on people who refuse to do math. Um, you know, this is all these things we began to learn in the economic model of casino gambling. Well, now you've got a sports wagering situation where you actually have powerful forces in the state of Ohio thinking differently than they are in other states. Again, I'm talking to you from Tennessee right now, and uh, we just got steamrolled here on a sports wagering bill. A conservative legislature, the gambling lobby came in, brought in 12 people on the floor of the, on the grounds of the state house, and literally ate the Republicans alive, including a brand new conservative governor who campaigned against sports wagering who refused to veto the bill and, and basically looked the other way. And, and they were so totally blown away by the gambling industry. And yet in Ohio, a state that is far less conservative than Tennessee in regards to voting patterns, you have the common sense of people standing up saying, wait a second, we've seen this, we've heard this, we've been down this road, and we're not going to be uh, pushed over by this idea that sports wagering has answered everything. And fortunately, the colleges are waking up for crying out loud to imagine what gambling is going to do, sports wagering is going to do to, to Ohio State's football games, along with everybody else. Well, and, In Tennessee, they blew right past it. In Tennessee, you're going to have legalized sports wagering on all the college games. Yeah, because it's going to be mobile and you're going to be able to do it anywhere inside the perimeters of the state. No matter where you are in the state, it's all going to be online through your phone. It's a very scary um, and maybe the the universities in Ohio understand if college students lose money uh, wagering on sports, they can't go hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt getting trying to get an education. But I guess that's another story for another time. But uh, the one thing, as as I watched the Democrat debate, you talked about Ohio and the common sense of Ohio people, and um, that's one of the things we do is we watch the debates. I was texting with you as it was going on. I was texting with Bob Francis as it was going on and sharing some thoughts and things. The one thing that, that spoke to me as I listened to everyone on stage, you talked about the common sense of Ohio folks. I felt like people that were trying to talk about Ohio that were on stage were being a bit patronizing because I'm not sure any of them had spent any time in Ohio other than to have dinner uh, where they invited friends who could write big checks. I'm not sure they yeah, well, understood yeah. what was taking place in the state of Ohio or has taken place in the state of Ohio, no matter what they discussed. I mean, it's easy to jump on and scream about Lordstown being closed. That broke all of our hearts. I want to see it up and running. I want to see cars being made there, SUVs. The bottom line is they made a product that no one purchased. That's why there's nothing happening in Lordstown. It was the product that was coming out of it, not the people that were working there. No one has an idea on how to fix that. So many things we could say about that. I'm biting my tongue, but I will say something like, I sure like Marysville, Ohio. I, sh- I sure like what Honda's done in this state. Uh, it's a fair market. It's a fair fight. And look at how many jobs in man- auto manufacturing and surrounding are happening there. Uh, and now you talk about Ohio and the debates. And thank goodness, uh, you know, it's great for, for Otterbein. And for Westerville to have hosted the event and all the revenue that flew in, that uh, was flying into that area. But if Bernie Sanders is the nominee or his agenda becomes the dominant agenda of the Democrat Party, you can kiss Otterbein and every small college in Ohio goodbye because Bernie wants only state and public universities to have absolute free tuition. I, I Good never with I, that Otterbein. I never understood that. I can remember sitting and and we're in the process of a building campaign at the American Policy Roundtable, building the American Mission Center 
and what we're doing in northeast Ohio. And our offices used to be in Strongsville. And as the bird float was, flies, it was only a few miles from Baldwin-Wallace University. And I can remember being there when Bernie was there. And I thought, I can't believe they're opening up their campus to Bernie to come and give a speech. Because if he gets his way, they are going to have to close the doors. Like, do people not look ahead and understand that? Well, and of course, it's all patronizing simply to get the votes. The same thing when Barack Obama launched his campaign from Ohio State University uh, two years, uh, two two terms in a row, uh, because of seeking the college vote in Central Ohio and exploiting the reality that we don't do database uh, uh, collaboration between the states. So that people like you, Rob Walgate, whose name happens to be identical to his dad, who might be enrolled in college in one state, can vote in that state. And I'm not saying that people do, but they can go back and vote in their home state because the voter records are not condensed or or collaborated or combined for for review. Now, in Ohio, uh, we have some people that have done really good work, like Lieutenant Governor John Houston, when he was Secretary of State. He took a strong stand and did a great job to try to make sure that we have honest voting in Ohio, and he took a lot of heat for that. But he's a good man and was asking honest questions. And so we've got a lot of good things going in the realm of common sense in Ohio. One of them is the Bob France Show, and I can do that from a pure patronizing perspective because I'm not on the payroll for the Bob France Show. I don't get anything for the Bob France Show except I know wonderful people listen to it, and Bob does a great job. And if I listen to it long enough, I'm going to get that that Ronald Reagan open memorized. I figure if I listen to it a hundred more times, I can get that Ronald Reagan speech memorized because it is so inspiring. I never grow tired of hearing. Well, speaking speaking of the Ronald Reagan speech, we're we're going to have to take a break right now. But when we come back after the break, let's get into something that was also happening during the debate in Ohio, and that was a commercial. That was a commercial from Ron Reagan, and we're going to talk about that after the break. You're listening to AM 1420, The Answer, the Bob France Authority. It's the Bob France Authority, here on AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, Rob Walgate, sitting in for Bob France and joined this morning by the CEO of the American Policy Roundtable, Dave Zanotti. And before we went to break, we were talking about quotes from Ronald Reagan. And during the Democratic debate last Thursday evening at 9.11 p.m., the top trending search on Google was Ron Reagan. And that was based on a, off of a commercial that aired during the debate. And Dave, you and I, of course, were texting during that debate. And um, you saw the same commercial I did. Unfortunately, in some of the, in some ways, the commercials were more interesting than the debate. Now, I can say that because I found that to be true both the Republicans and the Democrats. These debates truly wear people out. And uh, for the many, many people who listen uh, to Bob's show who do not watch the debates, I applaud you. Um, in a way, it's why Bob exists and people doing talk radio exist. We watch and explain <laughs> and fill in the blanks for you so that you don't have to endure that because it is a painful experience for three hours. 
and again, I find them painful in both cases because it's it's um, it, well, the whole thing is just whacked. There's there's really no other way to say it. it it's not a debate. It's not a television reality show. It's uh, a platform of chaos. Uh, it is, and, and the crazy thing about it is, it's like a fraternity audition. I mean, if the if the people on the stage get the idea that the moderators want them to go left, then they all race to see who can get the farthest left. If they get, want them to go right, then they all get them to go right. Get there the get there the quickest. I find it interesting that the party that wants the national popular vote to take over the electoral process in the United States of America doesn't even use that for their own choosing of the nominee. Well, and in addition to that, you didn't hear a word about that on the platform because they know that whenever that strategy is exposed, it causes causes people to go back to the Constitution to look more seriously about the separation of powers and limited government in balance and checks and balances. Whenever people are going in that direction, they're not heading toward the progressive left vision, which is kind of a thoughtless, mindless emotionalism uh, that's driven by some form of tribal justice. And that's where Ron Reagan comes in. Well, that's where Ron Reagan comes in with a commercial um, for the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And whether it's the Freedom From Religion Foundation or the Americans United for the Separation of Church and State or the ACLU, which were the original a legal team that backed ACLU, uh, uh, the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925. Uh, the idea of of twisting the concept of civil and religious liberty such that religion is only permitted in designated spaces. Uh, that's always been their goal and their agenda. And when Ron Reagan gets up and talks about the separation of church and state, what he's really talking about, those are code words, He's using the First Amendment of the United States Constitution to forward an agenda that basically says it's time to get rid of religious people we don't like. Uh, That's really all it is. They they have no intention whatsoever of protecting the civil rights of the people that they don't like. They simply want them silenced. They want them silenced from the marketplace. I heard you talking earlier about what the words mean in law and what do they mean in the Constitution. Can we discern their clear meaning? Well, the First Amendment is very clear. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And it, when the, that law was originally established and ratified by the people in the Constitution, it regarded the federal government. It did not even apply to the states. It was only through the work of Clarence Darrow and the ACLU and setting up phony lawsuits like the Scopes Monkey Trial with the goal and objective being to try to bring an incorporation of that First Amendment into state law by and, and thereby limit states' rights on religious expression, that, that this, even, this debate even exists in the states. So, I mean, the, the history of this uh, towards civil and religious liberty is clear, but people like Ron Reagan get on, on the platform and basically try to exploit words and, and basically repopulate them with a modern meaning that fits his agenda. Yeah, and he talks about himself being a lifelong atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. And it was just kind of a, a, a sad thing to see during that process. And I think a lot of people, that's why it was the top trending search on Google at the time. People were looking and wondering, what is going on here? It made such little yeah. sense. Yeah, it's fascinating when, when people do that kind of stuff, those tweaks and those sort of you know uh, middle finger promulgations to the balance of culture. 
Um, you can't escape the historical reality, regardless of whether you choose to consider yourself a person of faith or not. Yeah. There is a historical record. It's in the National Archives. It's called the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Uh, America is built upon a theistic platform. The founders believed that there is a God and that he did make human beings and that the role of civil government involved the consent of the governed about how we were going to live together down here in light of what God had started before we got here. That, of course, is the kind of speech that Ron Reagan wants absolutely banished from the marketplace. And so ultimately, we have to understand if, if people like Ron Reagan and uh, these organizations succeed, you'll basically have no longer any need for the National Archive. You could turn it into a fast food restaurant. Definitely. Well, can you hang on for one more segment? Sure. Because I, I want in the next segment, I want to dive into Christmas in America. It's something that Bob talks about on his show often, something we do at the round table in the public square. And I want to give the listeners a sneak peek of this year's Christmas in America and let them know how, how they can get tickets. So we'll discuss all of that on AM 1420, The Answer, right after the break. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority, Rob Walgate, filling in for Bob on this Monday morning. Thank you for taking time to join us. We're joined on the line by Dave Zanotti, CEO of the American Policy Roundtable and the Public Square Radio Network. And Dave, we have a special event coming up, and we're hitting multiple cities this year, and it's something that Bob attends every year and talks about often. And we wanted to let his listeners in on the details of this year's Christmas in America, and in essence, the year that we will be visiting in history. Well, Bob's always in the front row, so if you want to sneak an autograph, you have a chance. <laughs> that comes with his family, and you'll recognize him. He's probably the biggest guy in the front row. Uh, but uh, we're excited that Bob joins us, and uh, it, and we have one show in Cleveland on, what is it, Rob, December the... December the 7th, 1 o'clock 7th. at Cornerstone Chapel in Medina, in Ohio. Ma- in Medina, in Medina, Ohio. We had to go to one show this year because of adding an additional location on the travel weekend. Christmas in America premieres in Nashville every year. It's produced here in Nashville. Uh, and then it's taken out onto the public square radio network to 200 stations coast to coast. But then we also do a, a small road show. Uh, and we go from Franklin, Tennessee to Cleveland, Ohio to Peoria, Illinois and back again. That's the run this year. And because of the fact that there's 500 miles in between all those locations, and we don't have a million dollar budget for a live radio pro- show. Um, we only can do one show in uh, Cleveland and one in Peoria. Um, and so I apologize for the fact we've had two shows in the past, but it's just more urgency to know how special Bob's audience is because this show will sell out very quickly. So um, you can get your tickets by uh, going to thepublicsquare.com. And when you go there, you'll also find eight episodes of Christmas in America. And uh, what families tell us from all over the country is that they play these um, shows all throughout the holiday season. 
uh, as a great way of, of, of remembering history, of teaching history, of celebrating history, and looking for the manger in, in a true spirit of faith and in celebration throughout the Christmas season. So uh, all of those resources are available for free. Uh, now, that you have to have tickets, and the tickets are reasonably priced. What we do is we try to get an, uh, a family of five in the room, you know, mom and dad, and, and thinking if you've got two or three kids, you can get in the room for under $100. And that's what we try to do. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's not a profit a center for us at all. We lose a boatload of money doing this every year as far as the cost versus the ticket sales. But people around the country who listen to the Public Show Radio Program underwrite it because they believe it's so important that we remember uh, the true story of Christmas in American history and how we've always had Christmas here, and, and we go looking for the manger uh, every year. So this year we're looking in 1783, uh, which is kind of an interesting challenge. Well, it's a lot of fun, and you know we know that the message of Christmas in 1783 um, should have been the same that it's been th- all throughout history. So it's always fun and exciting to talk about. You mentioned us going to Peoria, Illinois this year as well for a show, and I want to encourage Bob's Bob's listeners. I know sometimes you feel like maybe you're all alone, or there's no one else that that really has those thoughts that you have, or or feel strongly about the country, we're blessed at the round table in the public square to travel the country um, from Peoria to do policy briefings. I was in Bluffton, South Carolina last week, did a policy briefing for over 110 people that everyone would love and be arm in arm with that love the country, that would love those Ronald Reagan quotes, the declaration, the constitution, so many things. So be encouraged that there's so many people out there that are grasping onto that and pushing forward. Do you see that as well, Dave? Well, I do, uh, Robin. And what I really see is if, if from a historical perspective, and it's what we do uh, at the roundtable, we have a project called the American Election Institute, which then helps us put together the iVoters Project, which you head up and, and do such a wonderful job at. But we try to take a historic look at elections and voter participation and the reasons why people participate in America. And when you take a look at, at the uh, Trump uh, election of 2016, it is a, uh, it's a bellwether moment. It's, it's, it's a watershed moment, if you will, because it really is the manifestation of years of people stepping outside of political partisanship and looking for people to elect based on what they promised, based upon what their perspective and their issues are, not necessarily what party they're a part of, because just like you said earlier, when when when, uh, when uh, Donald Trump started on that debate stage, he was he was the most liberal and the least Republican. Um, and and the fact of the matter is, in Ohio, sixty percent of the people who vote aren't a part of the Republican or Democrat party. But see, what's happening is people love this country. They love this country all over the fifty states that it's union, and they love our Declaration and our Constitution, and they want to see America turn back to a place of common sense and pulling together. And and they don't care about the party platforms, and they don't care about the party hysterics of partisanship and power control. Well, those are the kinds of people who show up at Christmas in America because they come looking for the manger because they recognize that unto us a son is born, a child is given, and uh, the government will be upon his shoulders. They're looking for that eternal dimension as to why civil government makes sense when we start with the Creator, the same place we started with the Declaration of Independence. Now, as someone who's at every Christmas in America and loves the shows, I can tell you, and I'll ask you to speak to this as well, Dave, the music. 
I, I mean, the people that are in the room, from the singers to the guitar, I mean, it's a fun time. It's not It's not sit back and get lectured about Christmas. It's let's go visit a year and learn about it, but then we're also going to have some music of the era. Well, in 1783, the theme is Home for Christmas, and that's the story of George Washington leaving the battlefield as the successful commanding general of, of the United States. But remember, he left the battlefield without a country. He went back to Virginia, which was the only country that he had because we hadn't founded a federal government yet. And he made a promise for his, to his wife that he would be home for Christmas uh, when the war was over. So he begins his journey back to Mount Vernon, and that's where we pick up the story. Uh, the, the music will have a great number of classic hymns uh, that were written and performed back in 1783. Yes, we'll have a little harpsichord music in the whole process, but we'll also have some modern music that applies to the area as well. Now, we do not publicize who our musical artists are uh, because they all, they're all professionals. They come up out of Music City with us. They're a team uh, because the, it doesn't matter who appears or doesn't appear. The only celebrity is found in the manger. That's the person that we're looking for when we have Christmas in America. But people who've been to the program can tell you that the, the folks who come with us are world-class performers, and the music is created special for this show, every year unique, and it's a wonderful family experience. Yeah, and, and listeners, you can get tickets by logging on to thepublicsquare.com or giving us a call at 1-800-522-8683 for the Cleveland show. It's at Cornerstone Chapel in Medina, Ohio on December 7th at 1 p.m. And Dave, I want to thank you for joining us today, having this discussion. I, I got the call to the bullpen on short notice, and, and you helped me out and bailed me out and came on and talked and helped educate the listeners. So I really appreciate that. Well, anytime we get a chance to do Bob's show together, uh, I always thank the people that listen so faithfully because this is a large listening audience. Uh, you know, this is just a two-hour show. It's not a typical three-hour show. And Bob's on Monday through Friday, and and he's he's in you know this market. I know he he fills in for Hugh Hewitt and other nationals all the time. This is a big talent and a big mind and a guy who cares passionately about doing the right thing the right way. So I'm a big Bob France fan. So. Uh, and I appreciate the fact that, that it's his uh, his sponsors that make the show work. I mean, I don't need a car right now, but I'm tempted to go to Kowalski <laughs> for just to meet all those wonderful people. The commercials sound so good. Uh, it's a great radio show, and I appreciate the fact that you listen and, and people who share. And I also want to encourage folks, because I know Bob listens to The Public Square, to, to, to visit us at thepublicsquare.com and check out Christmas in America. Uh, it, it, you'll be surprised that it's a free resource. You don't have to pay a dollar twenty nine to log on, a dollar twenty nine a song. Uh, you can come and experience this any time of the year at thepublicsquare.com. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, I'm hoping all the listeners will visit us at thepublicsquare.com and get tickets, and I will talk with you soon. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. Well, Andrew, we've made it all the way to where we have one segment to go. We have a couple people that have called in. We're going to get to callers after the break. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, we're at our final segment on the Bob France Authority. Flew this, by. 
did fly by. We had a lot of fun. Huge thanks to Dave Zanotti, CEO of the American Policy Roundtable, my boss, for jumping in to help out. Um, and again, log on to thepublicsquare.com. Tickets for Christmas in America, one show in Northeast Ohio. It is going to sell out, no doubt. Thanks to the people that have been hanging on this morning. We're going to go to Jim in West Park. Jim, welcome to the program. Good morning. You mentioned Ronald Reagan and all that. A lot of Trump's base is Obama Democrats that are unhappy with their party. And um, this this AOC was on su- uh, Sunday. She reminds me of artificial intelligence. They say that uh, the humans only use 3 to 5% of their brain. She's going to be burnt out by the time she's 30. What? So, but anyways, the reason for my call is you had mentioned sports betting. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, uh, there was an article in the paper uh, last weekend about uh, scholarships, scholarship money, people that are in college that get money for right. uh, endorsements and stuff. Which right now is not per- permitted, but go ahead. They call, they call amateur status uh, amateur status for a reason. These kids are 18 to 22, maybe 23 by the time they be seniors. Mm-hmm. They're amateurs, and they should not get any money. All that football program that generates football money goes to pay for uh, academic scholarships, uh, uh, science scholarships, uh, uh, right. female um, volleyball, foot, uh, uh, golf, tennis, uh, you name Jim, it. Jim, let me, let me hop in here. Let me hop in here. Let me hop in here. I used to be in 100% agreement with you. I'm not, and here's why. It stopped becoming amateur sports when we start, in my opinion, this is my opinion, when we started paying coaches gazillions of dollars to coach number one, when TV contracts started getting into the billion-dollar realm for the NCAA, it stopped being amateur sports. Everyone's making money. I'm not saying pay the athletes. Here's what I'm saying, and hear me out on this. Can, hear, me out can, on, hear me out on this. Hear me okay. out on this. Okay. What I'm saying is the fact that where else in life do you give up your constitutional right of your own image and likeness and autograph and you personally have to give that up and you may have to give it up for life. Let me give you an example. Let me Bob France endorses Kowalski Ford, correct? He does. Yes. Okay. Yes. He endorses Kowalski Ford. Bob France also played football at Heidelberg University. So what happens if Heidelberg wants to do a greats of the game and do banners of all the people that played there and bought, they use Bob France's image and likeness because he played football there and Honda is sponsoring it. And they put a picture of Bob France with Honda because they've sponsored that. Does Bob France give up his constitutional right to his likeness and image for the rest of his life because he played for an NCAA institution? Or should he be able to benefit and profit off that when he is in college if people are willing to do it? I think we've went down a dangerous path. I think I think the thought of athletes being compensated is something that does need discussed, and I think the thought of athletes having the right to their own picture, to their own image, to their own autograph can be discussed only being because 
So many people are making so much money off them. And what happens is they're being used and abused in a lot of cases. And I know everyone's screaming. They get a free education. They get all this stuff. They do. Take a look at the locker rooms at the University of Texas, their football team. Take a look at how much money spent to get those kids to commit there. Take a look at all these other schools. And you know what happens in many cases? They go in to urban communities. They pluck out the best talent. It gets used for three or four years, and then they throw it back to those urban communities. And maybe they did or didn't get an education to benefit from it. Some of these kids, unfortunately, are their highest earning potential during those years when it comes to athletics. Why can't they benefit off their own personal image and likeness? If they get a pair of shoes, they're not permitted to sell them or get rid of them. If they get anything, they're not. They're going to get in trouble. Well, is the science student going to get in trouble for that? No. Is anyone else going to? No. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I'm saying the thought of this being strictly amateur athletics needs to be discussed. Look, I believe, I, I wish I had the stat in front of me. I don't. I won't lie to you and say that I know it off the top of my head, but I think I'm pretty close. 48 of the 50 states, I believe the highest paid state employee is either the football coach or the basketball coach at a major university in 48 of the 50 states. I don't want to be lectured about amateur athletics when we're make people are making millions and millions and millions of dollars on the backs of these kids. Let's look at the bowl games in college football. Let's look at the CEOs of these bowl games. I'm not saying have the kids sign contracts and pay them tons of money. I'm just saying a lot of places have went out of business with the motto, but we've never done it that way before. And I think a lot of people are deferring to, but we've never done it that way before. Maybe we should do it a different way and see what happens. Sorry for the rant. Sorry for the tangent. That's something I do have a little bit of passion on because I've seen the exploitation of so many kids across this country when it comes to the NCAA. I think they're hypocrites in a lot of areas. We're going to go to Jim in Shaker Heights who has a question about the gambling bill. Good morning, Jim. Uh, you almost convinced me about football. That's a good argument. Okay, here's how bad law gets passed in Ohio. Just like the gambling law, the issues brought up in a November vote, and with loud advertisements on both sides, there's a big vote. Most people vote in November. The issue fails big time, let's say 60% to 40%. And the media and the people say, yay, the good has prevailed, and we're done our duty. Then in about May, there's a by-election for mayors and other miscellaneous officers. A modified constitutional amendment is quietly mixed in with little fanfare. The good people say, we already did our good thing with 60% voted no, so I don't need to vote because other people will do the right thing. But the 40% will all vote for it, and it will pass. This is how every bad law has passed since the Ohio lottery in 1972. So you got to vote at least two times, especially in the spring. Well, here, here's my take on that. And thanks for the call, Jim. I, I, um, I feel that when it comes to constitutional amendments, that they should only be permitted to be voted on in the fall of even numbered years. Therefore, it's always a major election. Now, I agree with you. People should be voting all the time. You should vote every opportunity you get. We're blessed to have that that ability in this state and in this country. Um, people should vote every chance they get. That being said, I think constitutional amendments should only have the ability to be on the ballot 
in the fall of even-numbered years. You're going to have congressional races. You're going to have possibly a U.S. Senate race. You may have a gubernatorial race, a presidential election. In Ohio, if we do it fall of even-numbered years, you're either going to have the governor's race or a presidential race. Because in 18, um, we had the gubernatorial. In 20, we're going to have the president. In 22, gubernatorial again, as well as auditor, secretary of state. There's so many important elections. But decisions are made. Decisions are made by people that we put in office. And if we love our neighbor, if we truly love our neighbor, um, don't we care who is in authority over our neighbor? Shouldn't we be involved in the process uh, when it comes to mayor, when it comes to city council, when it comes to township trustee, when it comes to the board of education in your community? You want to have a say. You know, and you, Jim talked about um, 40% are always being there voting. You know, when it comes to, I, I have a methodology when it comes to taxes. A lot of people don't don't like this methodology when it comes to levies and different things. I always say, I, I'm for private voting, obviously, and um, a non-disclosed ballot. You don't have to tell people who you voted for. However, however, if you step into the voting booth and you're voting on a levy and you vote yes on a levy, and it doesn't pass. Say the levy fails 5347. That's what the levy is. Well, my take is 47% voted for that levy. Therefore, those 47% elected that they want to support that levy and or that cause. Therefore, that 47% should still pay it. Just because everyone did, Andrew, how's that sound? Does that sound, I mean, just because everyone didn't say it, if you're part of the 47% or whatever percent that voted for it, if you want to vote for it, vote for it, but then take it a step further. How come no one says, you know what, it didn't pass, but I voted for it, I'm going to get out my checkbook and write a check to the cause? Absolutely, that makes absolute sense. Now, a lot of people don't like that because then they say, well, everyone should have to be a part of it or share into it. I say, well, wait a minute. That's what you wanted to do. That was that that you you wanted that to pass. You wanted it to vote so or to to go forward. So, get out your checkbook, write a check. Hey, Andrew, I had a lot of fun today. Me too, Rob. Thank you uh, so well, much. Well, I appreciate it. I'm very appreciative um, that Bob would turn over his microphone to me. I hope he is feeling better. I'm sure he will be back with all of you tomorrow. If you have any questions or need to get rid uh, hold of us, I was going to say get rid of us, not get rid of us. <laughs> get a hold of us for any reason. Visit us at aproundtable.org or thepublicsquare.com. You can send us a message. Be happy to respond. It's always, always a pleasure when I get the opportunity to do this. So thanks to Bob France. And remember, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil by doing good. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.